1: he does not leave you or forsake you. And what time you are afraid, you can trust in him and he will meet your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Depend and rely on the promises of God.
0: Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, senior pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: What do you do in your little corner of the world when you feel imprisoned by life's circumstances? What do you do when the things of this world have bound you. Maybe it's your attitudes or actions or addictions, it's hurts and habits and hang-ups in your life, things that have seemed to so overwhelm you that you feel as if you have no control. Is your first response to turn to Him and say, you can... Break every chain. I don't think it is. I think our first response is to try to figure a way out. In fact, particularly if we were raised in this culture, that's what we're taught. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do it. Figure a way out. Find a way to do what you know you can do. And so we work at it. This week, I had the privilege of hanging out with some all-stars from our church, some high school student leaders, as they went to a program called Student Leadership University in our nation's capital. And on one of the days, we toured what has become my favorite memorial or museum in all of the world. It's the only place I've visited in the world that you can stay in for hours and be in a large crowd of people and yet see that the sights and the sounds around you Invoke silence. It's a Holocaust memorial museum in Washington, D.C. Just remembering what took place at the hands of Hitler in Nazi Germany. One of the things that we saw in that memorial was this gate marking an entrance into one of the concentration camps where Jews would be killed. Now, Most of you, like me, probably don't read German, so let me tell you what that gate says. The inscription reads, work will make you free. That was a lie. The Jews that would come in through those gates, they might come in thinking that if they worked hard, they would walk away free men and women, but that was most often not the case. And it's not the case when it comes to our salvation. A lot of religions teach that, and a lot of people claiming to bear the name of Christ live as if they believe that, that if I work hard enough, if I do enough, I will be free in Christ. That's not the way it works. The Bible says salvation is a gift of God. It's not of our works. It's not of ourselves. But it's also not true if we're really going to make it through the tough things of this life. We can't just work our way through it. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. So it was not true in Nazi Germany. It's not true today. And it was not true in Acts chapter 12, which is where we find our scripture reading today. And one of my new favorite chapters in the Bible, a chapter that begins in tragedy and ends in triumph. We're continuing our message series from the book of Acts called Growing Pains, looking at the difficulties, the challenges, the pains that these earliest Christ followers experienced as they tried to live their lives for the glory of God as this new organism we learned about last week that's now been called the church, these Christians, Christ followers. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out, to the people, So we're introduced to three characters in these first few verses. We're introduced to this king named Herod, this apostle named James, and the famous man in the book of Acts thus far, the apostle named Peter. Let's first start with Herod. How many of you have heard of Herod in the Bible? If you've read much of the Bible or heard many Bible stories, you've heard of Herod. What you may not understand is that it can be quite confusing because there's actually a lot of Herods even in the New Testament. In fact, there is Herod the Great. What do we know about Herod the Great? Herod the Great, we are introduced to in Matthew chapter 2. He's the one who was looking for Jesus, right? He's the one that met with the wise men. He's the one that ordered the babies to be killed. Herod the Great was not so great. And then we know about Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, Herod and Tempest is who considered to the death of another famous person in the Bible, the forerunner of Jesus. His name is. Herod the Great had, or Herod and Tippus had him beheaded. He was also the Herod to whom Pilate sent for Jesus to trial. But then in Acts chapter 12, we're introduced to Herod Agrippa. Who is Herod Agrippa? He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, why are we hearing about Herod Agrippa and not his father, who was Herod Aristobulus? The reason is because Herod the Great, who was not so great, had Herod Aristobulus, his son, along with the mother of Herod Agrippa, killed. He was one of the many people that he had killed because he disagreed with them. So from early in his life, Herod Agrippa grew up kind of with suspicious eyes from the Romans. So he was always looking for ways to gain his favor, their favor. You also hear in scripture about Herod Agrippa II. Herod Agrippa II is met by the Apostle Paul at the end of the book of Acts, and he meets him in a great colosseum in Caesarea-by-the-Sea. A year ago, we had a team that was in Israel that were able to sit in that very colosseum. in December. We have another group going. You can still be a part of that. We'll sit in the very colosseum where the Apostle Paul looked into the eyes of Herod Agrippa II, and he challenged him about his faith in Jesus Christ. But back to Herod Agrippa. Why was he after James? Remember, he was trying to gain favor with everyone, including the Jews, They didn't like what God was doing through his church, the apostles. And so Herod Agrippa decided to arrest and begin to persecute some of the Jews. And he took one of the inner circle, James. We know about James because James was a part of that inner circle. There were 12 people that Jesus hung out more than anybody else. What do we call them? They're the disciples. And then there was a clique. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't want to go to that church. There's cliques there. Well, guess what? There were cliques even among the disciples. There's Pete, James, and John. Imagine the other disciples, the other nine. They would probably stand in their corners, drinking their coffee. There they go again, Jesus, Pete, James, and John. They're always together. And then, by the way, just in case you wondered if it was all right to have close friends, is there one that Jesus may have hung out with a little more than the other? John was the Beloved disciple. So anyway, James, one of the inner circle, one of the three, becomes the first apostle to be martyred for his faith. He's going to lose his life at the hands of Herod Agrippa. You remember what the request was of James and John to Jesus? Now, they were kind of wimpy, so they didn't make the request themselves. They made their mama ask Jesus. Jesus. And so the Bible records that their mama went to Jesus and said, Now, Jesus, I, I know you like my boys. But when you get into your kingdom, and in her mind, she surely thought it was still a military kingdom. When you get in your kingdom, can one sit at the left and one sit at the right? Remember that story? And in John, or in Matthew chapter 20, rather, in verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, to John and to James, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? that I am to drink. And they said to him, Yeah, we're able. Yeah, count us in. We're in. Boy, how often, how often, even in our spiritual settings, do we sign on the dotted line without counting the cost, without recognizing what Jesus is asking us to do. They couldn't have appreciated what they volunteered for. This request was made 14 years before the events that are recorded In Acts chapter 12, 14 long years after they had asked to be at the right and left of Jesus, James finds himself being martyred for the faith. He had wanted a crown of glory, but God gave him a cup of suffering. He had wanted power, but God gave him a place of service. He had wanted prominence, but God gave him a martyr's grave. 14 years later, Hey, just a reminder. Even the friends of Jesus may not always get what they want. But they always get what he wants. Hey, let me just give you one last thing before we move on. Eusebius, the historian, the Jewish historian, he he reports that as James was being led away to his execution, there was another guy that was watching him. And this man that was watching him, was so moved by the testimony of faithfulness of James that he declared in that moment, I too profess Christ as my Lord. Will you forgive me? And Eusebius reports that James turns to him and says, peace be with you. And they were executed side by side. Even going to his grave, he was thinking about the one that could go into the kingdom of God. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We continue with our message. Since Easter weekend, I've been asking you, who's your one? Who has God placed on your mind? Who has God put in your heart to pray for, to ask God to give you an opportunity to be a testimony of the gospel of grace? Today, you've received a little booklet This booklet will give you an opportunity for the next 30 days just to spend time in God's Word and thought and prayer, thinking through your one. And then we're also giving you, in addition to this, this little card, which gives you an opportunity to record over the next couple of weeks who that person is so that we can join you in praying. Imagine what would happen if the people that gather... Together, called Mission Hill Church, began to each have one person. Imagine if God gave us the opportunity over the next six weeks just to demonstrate the faithfulness of Jesus to that one person. Imagine how the church could begin to look like the church in the book of Acts and multiply. Who's your one? Well, let's get back to the story. There's a few key things we're going to learn in Acts chapter 12. The first thing is this. It's not a surprise. In this life, we will face problems. but Please understand this biblical truth. Ours is a hopeful faith. Ours is a optimistic faith. But ours is not a faith that teaches that if you do a certain group of things, you will not face the hard moments of life. Ours is not a faith that teaches if you just believe right or if you have enough faith, you won't go through the most tragic moments anyone could endure. In fact, just as Jesus told James and John, to follow him, we will fellowship in his suffering. I can't imagine what it means to be a follower of Christ and not walk through some sort of of the difficulties of this world because in this world we will have problems. But thanks be to God, Jesus has overcome the world. This chapter is evidence of some of the problems in this world. These were the growing pains of the church, the enemy, and using as his tool Herod Agrippa was attacking, he was persecuting the church. That's taking place even today all around the world. They're Christ followers being persecuted by their faith. For their faith. This passage we see that these problems often lead us with questions, don't they? You're about to see what happens to Peter. We're introduced to him in these first four verses, but we're about to read what happens. James is killed. There's no miracle. There's no resurrection. He's dead. Peter's about to escape from prison again. We want to ask, why? Why? Peter more godly than James? Does God love Peter more than James? Does God listen to Peter's prayer more than James? And everything in scripture would lead us to say no. It's a great reminder. We don't and we won't always understand the why. It's okay to ask. God's not intimidated by your questions. You can ask him. But you may not understand, you may not see his plan, you may not be able to trace his hand, but you can trust his heart because he tells us in his word that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord, for as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In Romans chapter 11, Paul puts it this way, O oh, the depths, the riches, the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. Part of maturity in our faith is getting to the place where we say God, I may not understand, but you are far more wise than I will ever be. I trust you. I recognize you are sovereign. You're not caught off guard by the circumstances of my life. You're not surprised. And Lord though I am I'm shaking in my boots, though I don't know what to do, though I don't know where to go, I can trust you. Why? Because scripture also teaches that we're invincible until we're done with God's plan as his children. So you you just got to decide, and and I'm 50 and I'm wrestling through these truths in Scripture. We have to decide, do we believe the entirety of Scripture? The entirety of Scripture says that our God's not caught off guard, that he works all things together for our good and for his glory, that when we are his children, we're in a special place, we're overcomers. So we, we, we face these problems, but it also says we're invincible until we've completed what he wants us to complete. But as my friend Pastor Zach says, we just don't know when that is. That person that faces tragedy and enters into their eternal reward earlier than we expect, they're not a moment early and will not be a minute too late. truth of God's word is found in Revelation chapter 11. It's talking about the two witnesses. And notice what it says. When they had finished their testimony, when they had finished their testimony, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them when they had finished their testimony. If you are a child of God, you are invincible until you finish your testimony. And you don't get to decide when that is. And that's hard. It's challenging. We look at one person that loves Jesus and seems to go through life and have it relatively easy, though I would challenge us never to assume what we don't know, never to assume that A person's not facing the mental pain and the emotional pain that we have no idea they're experiencing. But we look at them and we wonder, why does this person not encounter what this person faces? Tragedy. This person seemed to love Jesus and yet their life was taken early. This person seems to follow after the heart of God and yet they walk through constant pain and turmoil and nothing seems to go right. Why? I don't know. But I have to decide if I trust him. So back to the story, verse 5 says, Peter was kept in prison. And then a little phrase on which the entire rest of the book of Acts hinges. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Look at that phrase. But earnest prayer for him was made. We walk through the trials of life. We walk through the challenges of life. But earnest prayer is made. Is that your first response when you go through those problems? Do you turn to God in prayer? Do you understand what we often say in this room? Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. I'm I'm challenged by this, even though I share it with you often. To look at even the little things in life and, and first say, let's pray about it. Do you look at life through the filter of those words? Let's pray about it. Well, notice what happens in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, now let's stop right there. Our God is an on time God. Yes, He is. When Herod was about to, why was He about to bring him out? He was going to do the same thing he had done to James. Did you remember what we read? He saw that it pleased the crowd what he had done to James. Who was the crowd? The Jewish leaders. They didn't want these Christians to take off as was happening now around the world. So they were pleased. And so they were pleased and he went and got Peter. And when it had come to the time, he was about to go get Peter and do the same thing he had done to James. At that moment, on that very night, he's an on time God. Yes, he is. You may think he doesn't know what's going on in your life. He knows the minutes. He knows the second. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus takes his closest crew with him. His prayer warriors. This is the prayer team. Come on with us. Y'all stay here and pray. I'm going to talk to the Father. What's Peter doing? He did not have a problem with insomnia. I mean, that is clear. <laughs> He knew how to sleep. But this is different. I don't think this is that sleep. I don't think this is careless sleep. I think this is restful sleep. He was sleeping with peace. Every Christ follower that understands that they are invincible until they've completed their testimony should be able to sleep with God's peace. If you're not sleeping with God's peace, that means you have taken it into your own hands. And you've disobeyed that command that's found in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. He needs to guard our heart because our heart is the flow uh, through which all of life comes. And he needs to guard our mind because every thought just races in our mind when we're not trusting him. But not for Peter. He's sleeping. Why? I think he trusts his God plan, and he trusts God's promises. And that's what you've got to decide. Again, remember, we're going back, do I believe the book? And the book says, the Bible, the scriptures, the holy word of God, what in our church we believe, it's without error. It's infallible. It doesn't contain falsehood. The Bible says that we make our plans, but it's God that determines our steps. So, so we have to decide, do I, do I trust him and am I going to rest in his plan? Peter did. And then will I rest in his promises? And I'm reminded often there's a promise for every day of the year. If I just learn the promises of God. If you haven't done this, go to a bookstore or go to Amazon and order just a little promise book so that you can regularly look and depend on the promises of God and remember how he is with you. He does not leave you or forsake you. And what time you are afraid, you can trust in Him, and He will meet your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And you can do all things through Him who gives you strength. Depend and rely on the promises of God.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support.